Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't, But You Do. Stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We are a motivational storytelling company and sales training company where we provide enabling tools to empower you to do what most people don't. Absolutely thrilled and honored to be speaking to a dear friend that's located in Dubai, and we've been planning this call for quite some time. Let me give you his background before I do the official announcement and we begin the podcast. But my friend is Sohail Padari. Uh, we will co- call him Coach Padari for many of uh, for many of the discussion points today. He is a leadership coach and learning specialist. He has started his own company, so he is the CEO and founder of Padari Coaching Break Patterns. Uh, He is a certified professional coach, ICF certified, co-active trained coach, transformational trained coach, emotional intelligence trained coach. I could go on and on, but I do want to share a few other things that he's involved with. Sorry, Sohail, if this is a little bit embarrassing. Um, he's also involved professional coach partnership with Coach Hub. He is also, when we reference coach, he is actually a goalkeeper coach. And we're going to talk about his sports background and his passion for the game. Um, a terrific volunteer from so many different aspects. A terrific gentleman, um, a former global sales leader within Marriott International and many of the luxury brands. So, sale, so hail. Uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. But I'm so honored. Thank you so much, my friend. Uh, when this call came and uh, I was so thrilled. I mean, we, we're always connected, but I just thought this is an amazing opportunity to be on your podcast. Thank you so much for Oh, absolutely. And thinking about the last time, there was a couple of last times that we saw each other. But the first time that I was really integrated with understanding who Sue Hale was, or coach, we're going to call him Coach Badari, was when we did some training together in Doha. And it was probably one of the best experiences of my life, being able to meet you, spend time with you, hear your perception on selling and how to be a better person. And then all of the individuals, all of our participants from all over the world were really, really quite phenomenal. And, um, and you and I are working on a couple of things that I will come join you in Dubai or Saudi Arabia or wherever we need to do some additional training. But Sohail, I want to start off by tell me a little bit about your background as to from and, and I'm going way back, not way, way back, but background with regard to where did you grow up? Yeah, for, for many, it's a mystery. You know, after many years in the market, even and uh, many clients have been today don't know where I'm from. And, and that's the beauty of it, because the connection has been so strong. So we've been passed by that. Uh, Yet, if I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back to 71, 1971, when, uh, when I was born in Dubai, actually. Uh, and this country was just united. Uh, this country was united. Uh, it united two months after I was born, so in December. And I was born on September 30th. Uh, my parents, uh, they were migrants. They, they migrated from Iran at that time, um, uh, literally a couple of years before the revolution. And, uh, um, you know, my, my dad found, uh, I would, he would always refer to Dubai as the Australia of, of Middle East, where <laughs> Folks came to find fortune, and he did. Um, I was raised here, uh, amazing diversity. Uh, I grew up here. I went to high school. Um, this, this city gave me an identity, and I. Uh, and then we migrated to Sweden. So technically, today I'm a Swedish Iranian. Um, you know, I lived in Sweden 17 years in Stockholm, 
-hmm. another very big, big important chapter in my life with, with, with coming from a, from a diverse world into a world where the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of, of thought was, was, was taught. So I, 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 I thank Sweden a lot for that part of my growth, where I was given the, you know, the opportunity to think freely, uh, yeah. you know, explore, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so your, your parents migrated from Iran yes. to Dubai. Correct. And tell, tell us a little bit about that. How um, um, was he able to find employment? Um, what, what did that look like when, when, when they first moved to Dubai, whatever you can share? Wow. Yeah. I mean, he, he moved here on, in 67. So that was like really, really at the beginning of beginning. And, uh, uh Dubai was very, very, uh, at his early stages. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. He never worked for anyone as long as he could remember. And, and he went into uh, kind of taking some uh, day jobs in the oil fields. Uh, that was his, his background. Um, soon he went on to being on his own boss. Uh, shortly after, um, and when you used to tell me the stories about learning the, the Arabic language, you know, you used to kind of, and this might be sound unethical, but you used to give an extra half an hour uh, to the workers who taught them Arabic, and another extra uh, half an hour to the ones who taught him English. That's how he, he learned Arabic and English. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, was a, it was a collaboration, so it was a win-win, if I would say so, in a sales training. Um, so they really were the, the I would say the, the, the beginning, the, the families who came from yeah. abroad and founded uh, the expat families. So they really, really lived the beginning of Dubai. Yeah. And the diversity here already in 70s and 80s was a, was a big thing. And uh, we had, yeah. you know, really, really religions were mixed, people were mixed. And it, it really, in, in my home, I, I was brought up to have a full understanding and respect for every individual, regardless of what their faith was. And where he came from, so that that's something which I always, uh, well, you know, I'm always grateful for. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So, um, what business then did he start as an entrepreneur? So he was uh, he went to the oil and gas field. So okay. what he did was initially he um, uh, collaborated with companies with, which were um, into building tankers. You know, the oil you know, oil was just explored a couple of years before, so it's a big booming business. So he started to work with. Um, British and uh, you know, British companies, which mm -hmm. were coming down here, uh, which were already down here. And he used to be a facilitator or a subcontractor okay. with them to ensure that you know, the their, their oil fields, when the tankers were uh, ready, and he was the, the company to go to, to kind of uh, make those tankers ready and yeah. ship them off for, uh, for transportation. So, so how, was in oil and gas logistics. Yeah. So how incredible, moving to a new country, yeah. Right? And then you were born a few years later yep. and not knowing all the languages that he needed to learn, yep. being creative and being able to learn and then start a company. Pretty darn incredible. I would say so, but he, he you know, I think that's where the energy comes from when I think about you know, now that I've uh, done this so many years yep. after, you know, that he probably started. Uh, but, but that energy comes from a place and that, that always stayed with me. He always told me, he told me, you need to have a plan for yourself. Otherwise you're gonna, and you know, this is a famous saying, but he used it. He said, if you don't have a plan for yourself, you're gonna always be part of someone else's. Right, no, that's really good. That's <laughs> really good. And then tell us a little bit about the influence um, that your mother had had growing up. Oh, she was, uh, 
she was a point of reference because he was away a lot. And, you know, and, and, and honestly speaking, um, you know, he had long working hours. I don't remember seeing my dad when we woke up and he would probably come back very late in, in, at night because those were the booming years. And, you know, uh, you, you know, the presence of mom at home was very important as a foundation of, of the family. She was a very, you know, she was a, truly a point of reference in terms of education, in terms of support. Um, and I think the kindness, my kindness side comes from her. My dad was a bit more the, the rough side, you know, the, the, you know the, the rock where you have to, you know, kind of uh, scrap to find a diamond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that, the business he was in also kind of created that kind of image out of it. Yeah. And so what was that difficult for you? And I can't remember. You have siblings, brothers and sisters? Yeah, a brother and two sisters. Okay. So was that difficult for you as a child having your father work all the time? It was, um, I think, um, for, for a boy specifically in those years, I think, and, and that's a, maybe stereotyping, but nevertheless, you seek both sides and then you kind of learn from both sides. So, but, uh, you know, that wasn't around that much. So we need to kind of, you know, uh, we had to take whatever we took, we, we could at, mm -hmm. at a short period of time. Yeah, because, um, and it's very interesting. And the reason why I like to understand people's background a little bit is to what form, you, what, how, how did you form to be the person that you are today? And I know that you are extremely involved, interactive, and engaged with your son. And I, I know that, you know, your family means the world to you. And, and so that's why I, I like asking that question just to kind of understand. Uh, like my father is an example. He was a, a school teacher. So we were able to see him, you know, in the evenings, a little bit in the morning. I remember the smell of his cologne as he left the, the, the house at 6 a.m. in the morning. But then in the summer, in order to supplement his income, he worked at state parks and he would live in a cabin and he would help these under kid privileged children learn how to um cut trails in woods and i always was sad because my dad wasn't around in the summer that's when you should be around he had summers off so i like to hear the influence of you know moms and dads mothers and fathers and growing up all right so so how, how did you then understand that you wanted to get into the hospitality world when did that come about uh, that's an amazing question, but it was uh, uh, it was merely a mistake and just by default. And when I think about it, uh, after being 22 years, I've had spent 22 years in that uh, industry. It really truly started when I went uh, when I was in school in, in Stockholm, and uh, I went to the high school counselor, you know, um, and I asked her that I wanted to kind of see myself as a, a mechanical engineer you know, mm -hmm. within aerospace and. I remember her words and she said, well, I would probably not invest in that right now a lot. Uh, and I would kind of, I, I see you more as a hospitality guy. And I see that opportunity much more in that direction. Um, now, years afterwards, I, I don't know the reason behind her thought or her recommendation. And, and I always, and this is the funny part, ever since I got into that industry, which I love and I hate it equally, and I've never said this to anyone yeah. until now. I always wondered what is my role in that industry. I love the engagement. I love the the, the you know the connection with people. I love uh, there was a lot of love. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I always thought this kept me away from something else. Mm. Um, you know, I, I wanted something more, something else for myself in life. And yeah. it literally took 22 years to understand that. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. That's okay. It, it provided, it provided you with wonderful training, 
right? Wonderful, wonderful people and wonderful insight. And I used to say this about, you know, it took me, gosh, how many years, you know, over 10 years to be able to start working for Ritz-Carlton. And we both have the Ritz-Carlton background. And individuals say, you know, do you wish you had joined Ritz-Carlton sooner? And my perspective was no, because I wasn't ready. I hadn't earned it enough. I hadn't learned what was good and bad in the professional world. I didn't know enough about myself to know that I could work for a company with great, amazing culture, service-oriented, others-focused, relationship-built like Ritz-Carlton. It took you some time. So that's okay, right? It's okay that it took 20-some years to be able to un discover your, your, your full passion. But I think parts of that were, were shining through regardless, I'm sure. So I am going to just skip to, to tell us right now about your passion. It's what you're doing now? Coaching. Yes. Yes. And that's what uh, you just kind of uh, nailed it when you said that it's part of the process. Um, working with people 22 years, day in, day out. Yeah. Tells you something. And I think that was part of my internship into coaching. <laughs> it took uh -huh. 22 years of internship. And the more you spend time there, you spend time in psychology, even though coaching and psychology are two different ballgames, but nevertheless, it is dealing with humans, with human mind, with human beings. Um, I literally enjoy seeing shift happen. And when shift happens within another person, mm -hmm. it is the best prize and the best gift that I can receive. And I, I think coaches out there will resonate that this is probably the highest prize for any coach to see that shift happening in, in, in the coachee yeah. uh, that they, they, they kind of have a relationship. And I want to dive into that a little bit more because before we hit record, we were talking about our passions. And I shared that I got a note from someone that said this was um, one of the participants on the New York Public Library call that I had done. And they said, you changed my life. And I just got a card the other day, a handwritten note card from a student. This is a few weeks before graduation. And she said, I'm graduating in a few weeks, but I'm taking time to reflect on the lessons learned from people that influenced my life. You remind me to be, you are one of the most special people I've ever met who remind me to do what other people don't. The advice will resonate with me forever. Like, are you kidding me? This person is getting ready for graduation. And I'm not... I'm not saying this to be self-serving, but I'm saying that I appreciate and understand what you're saying, the shift in others. Coach, do you have any stories about not, you know, leave out the names of a shift that you have seen with someone that you've helped? A summary of, yeah, is yeah. any kind of generalization again, without getting yeah. into, you know. Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, let me just, for the, for the sake of matter, mention that uh, the same note could be handed out to you from hundreds of people, including myself. You did shift me as a, as a, as a learning, and I don't dare to call myself learning specialist in front of you. Nevertheless, what I saw in Doha made a shift. It, it, this affected my way of trying to facilitate since that day. And to that, I'm grateful to you. And I've always said that, and I will always say it. Um, so it's, it's, it's a great honor. In the coaching world, and, and recent conversation that I had, a very difficult one mm -hmm. with a young person, a young salesperson who 
found himself in tough positions, tough situation uh, due to some you know, changes. And I initially thought that this person was going to depression so that therefore a coach cannot anymore intervene and you have to you know, kind of direct them to a psychotherapist. Um, nevertheless, this was not a sign of depression. This was a sign of a young person being told that they're not good enough. We hear that a lot of times. Somebody tells someone you're not good enough. Yes. And if we allow that to happen to ourselves, then we're guilty as charged. And if you as a coach see that and you know someone comes to you and you allow it to kind of slip, then uh, it is life sentence. Mm-hmm. So what happened here is we had a you know several conversations, coaching conversations, and what literally happened, Bart, is that that person had to realize by themselves mm-hmm. that here they are with amazing values, amazing values as a human being, nothing wrong, you know, numbers dip and they go up again. And this is pandemic. So we're talking about very recent. All that has to be done was to ensure that the person was aware of the fact that they have values that are the guiding star and that that should never ever be discounted as i always call it in my my my, my gigs my conversation do not discount your values mm. for the sake of winning because that winning will not be worth what you give away so fast forward three months this man is back on track he's stronger solid mm. you know you cannot literally um disturb him anymore he knows where he stands because he always knew he just allowed someone to kind of put him off balance and he just had to do a reality check and and kind of re-sync with his own values which were solid as a rock wow Uh, in in, coach as as you say that it just reminds we were having a conversation the other day with uh with two of my speaking friends uh gail olafson and hillary kinney and we were talking about self-awareness and what happens if someone is going through works for xyz company and they're going through a performance review and they are being told that they're not good enough now the employee um is doing their best they believe that they are good enough but they don't like respect or admire their boss and it could have been that very similar situation as what you just said right someone that perhaps you don't respect and if anyone is telling someone else that they're not good enough, you probably shouldn't respect them. D- d- does that resonate? It does hundred percent. And as if, as if we, you know, we, we haven't, I haven't talked about this example with you. So it's, it's really, yeah. really awkward that it comes up. My answer to that, but is very simple. And I would always turn around and say, dear leader or mm-hmm. dear boss in yes. this case, what is it that doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it something specific? Mm-hmm. And let me ask you another question as an associate, and I always encourage curiosity and curious questions. How would you solve it as a leader? Mm-hmm. What is your solution? Right, right. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's about solving something and kind of moving on. Uh, Yes. Yeah, oh, a, a thousand percent. It's about solving. And I like that it's being not deflected, but it is pure curiosity of 
Can you give me an example of perhaps how you would solve it? Share with me, help me as a leader solve this. I, I think that's a really, really, and a lot of people are not confident enough to be able to ask that. And, and perhaps, uh, Coach, do you see that sometimes people are, uh, and, and I, I shared this statement, that if you are in the right fit for a role, and I don't want this all to be about roles, I want it to be more about you, but the listeners, the close to 20,000 listeners are learning about your coaching approach, which I think is brilliant. If you're in the right fit, it will elevate you. If you're in the wrong fit, it will exhaust you. And that is about self-awareness, knowing what you're good at, what you like. And then also, I'm assuming with regard to the environment, because sometimes, and tell me if you agree with this, that there just might be a job that perhaps your boss, your leader, your associates, your colleagues, your teammates aren't the right fit for you. Is that okay? Bart, you know, it's, uh, um, it's as simple as that. You know, sometimes we keep on putting the suit, which is two sizes smaller, because we don't want to let go. Mm -hmm. We need to tell ourselves, what is it we're doing? Why am I doing that, what I'm doing? Uh, is it the right thing for me? Is what I'm waking up every day for is what I should be doing? Mm -hmm. And if it is, then you have all the right in the world, God-given right, mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. Whether the leader or the boss or whatever you want to call them agree with you or not, every person has a dip. Every person has a high and low, and that happens across. I don't have, I've never heard about a single person who hasn't had a bad year or a bad month or a bad week. Yet, when you start asking that critical question, is it actually what I want to do or is it just because I need to get through this period and get a paycheck and I find something better? Yeah. Those are the questions which have to go through your mind. And when you start going through your mind, then of course you're not focused. You're not, yeah. you're not in the right place anymore. Yeah. Right, Coach, I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about your athletic knowledge, your passion for soccer. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you incorporated being an athlete to being a coach for sports, for soccer? And then I always do this. I better stop doing this. Let's just stop right there. Tell us about your experiences being an athlete. Okay. Um, we have this in common because you also are very passionate about your, you know, your background in volleyball. Um, for me, football, European football, uh, soccer for um, our American uh, audience, it goes back a long way, a long way. I, I, never, I was never great. I was never a great footballer, uh, a goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. Although it triggered something when I was in my early ages that because I was not given the chance to be to be given a chance, to even be given a chance to become something better than average, it disturbed me. And throughout my life, when I pursued and I played in you know, Division II in Sweden, when I left Dubai, when I still was struggling, you know, with the Scandinavian, you know, uh, we're talking about tall kids, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm you know, by origin, I'm Middle Eastern, and, you know, my, my height would never be fit for that, um, um, the, the soccer world in Sweden. It never left my mind that I had something to give in athletics. And what I started to do is that I looked at, okay, I know the game, I love it, and I can play it for long. I, I quit early when I was 28. And I immediately started going to coaching. 
and shifted the horizon. I said, what can I give back to those who haven't been given a chance? And that's been always my pushing and my, you know, the stride, you know, that, that pushing element that's saying, why are you a coach? Because I believe everyone's got something in them. Whether they're going to be pro, semi-pro, or just, you know, fulfill their role, everyone has to be given a chance. So 22 years, 21 years, down the line, I'm still here. I'm coaching. I coach, you know, uh, uh, the goalkeepers in my own academy, and I collaborate with clubs in Dubai. And I have some success stories to share, girls, boys, and it's all about them. It's never about me. Yeah. And I believe the role of the coach is an important one because through sports, we have a great responsibility and opportunity equally. And it's how you kind of, um, uh, how you practice that. And as long as the athlete is in the center, then you're good. But as soon as the, you know, the coach gets to be, it's going to be a coach-centered matter, yeah. then it's time to... Uh, Right. Need, right. need to be others focused. And Absolutely. I, I just released the podcast yesterday. Uh, the gentleman is John Sinchak. I'll make sure. I think I sent you the link already. But Absolutely. Uh, retired U.S. First Army Sergeant and volleyball coach of the year, coach of the year, coach of the year, high school. And I coach his JV team. He does varsity. But it is never, ever about him. He never needs to be the most important person in the room. So, so, so Hale, do you think then at 28, you begin coaching. And I love that you're giving people a chance that were never given a chance. That really, oh my goodness, like that statement right there, because you were never given a chance, perhaps, as you said, in, in football, right? American soccer, yeah. that you were making sure that you were giving people a chance. So at 28, you became a coach, a football coach. When did the aspect of being an executive coach, a leadership coach, come about? Yeah, this took many, many years more. Uh, I came into executive coaching um, again by mistake. I, I used, at that point, it was 2015 when I was still working with Ritz Carlton, Global Sales. And I saw this ad about coactive coaching. And I turned around and I said, you know, I've tried to understand how I can coach my team better. Mm. And I thought I was going to a training to get to know how to coach a team better. Okay. To my big surprise, um, I thought it was, uh, you know, the first weekend was, uh, was, was hilarious. You know, people were talking about their emotions and it was all over the place. And I was like, I'm not gonna go back to this room the weekend coming. I never thought that I would go and pursue leadership coaching in my life. The more I learned, the more I practiced, the more I got involved in coaching, I was told I became a less of a leader. And that might be ironic, um, but how I analyze it is the more you coach in the modern terminology, the less you tell people what to do. And for many that surrounded me, leadership was about telling people what to do. And therefore, obviously didn't resonate with me anymore because I, wasn't, I didn't want to tell people what to do. I wanted them to tell me, what are you going to do about it? And therefore, that is the growth that a person, and that's how you bring your potential out. Not by telling people what to do, but to ask them, how do you do it? What do you want to do? Empower and release. And I just, I just want to go back to that because I think that's a critical statement. The perception is you were being told by somebody that being a coach made you become less of a leader. 
because you weren't telling people what to do. Oh my goodness. I'm shocked. I'm angered, but I'm also enlivened because you came up with that conclusion and you pursued it just like the, the, the poor boss or the bad leader that is telling you, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You had individuals telling you that if you get into coaching, you're going to be less of a leader because you're not telling people what to do. Absolutely. And that oh. did not resonate with me anymore. And, you know, that's where the values pop up. Yeah. When you, when you, yeah. When you, yeah, you cannot compromise your values. And I'm taking notes as we're speaking, coach. And th that those are the lessons right now that our listeners hopefully will be able to write down and think about. Never compromise your values. Um, you know, stay truthful to who you are, right? Be kind and considerate. Uh, I just think it's incredible. So can you talk a little bit, coach, about your coaching style? And I think just by our conversations right now, that people are getting a sense of, of who you are. So with your Padari Coaching Break Patterns program, can you kind of summarize what that is? Because I do want our listeners to learn more about you um, in your business, right? Where um, after 22 years hospitality, uh, just like me, 31 years hospitality, 32 years, you know, we are, we are trying to pursue our passions, get the word out, help others, and then also, I mean, we need to make a living doing this as well. So can you Absolutely. share what your program looks like and what makes you different as a coach? Absolutely. And I think every coach is different with, because they come from a different background. Mine is, um, although being in leadership roles, having worked with great leaders and sometimes less efficient leaders uh, equally, has taught me lessons. Um, though I don't take those lessons to my coaching sessions. And what I do is, I work with young leaders who are growing in the role. So predominantly young leaders who are growing in the role, which have a great opportunity and equally a great responsibility for the next generations. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is a knowledge, uh, you know, it, we're going to the, uh, the time where knowledge management, right? You know, knowledge leadership. So at the same time, I have leaders who are seasoned and are stuck mm. and they just don't know where to head. Um, Having had a coactive training um, approach and elaborated in transformational mm -hmm. and keep on learning, emotional intelligence is there now. How am I different? My energy, my energy and my continuous, my continuous effort on becoming more curious and more curious. The more curious you get, and funny enough, the less you work. Because the more curious you get, and the more curious questions you ask, you know, the more are you, actually, the more you are not helping, but the more you are actually putting things in perspective for the coachee. My coaches would probably say that I'm accountable and I'm very straightforward and I'm not fluffy. So those are the words which come out if you speak to anyone who's dealing with me, that I'm not a fluffy coach. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, a, I'm a kind guy, but I like people to stay focused on their goals. Yes. Uh, I like them to see and touch and, you know, see tangible changes, not only intangible. Um, so I, I really, really want a coachee to come in a session and be able to leave even after 30 minutes and 45 minutes mm -hmm. with something that they can say, hmm, I don't know that was going on. Yes. And I've had that aha feeling with a coachee, which after 30 minutes is, oh, wow. Did I say that? Yes, that's what you said. 
and you know and then off they go and they might come and still be kind of rolling in that situation nevertheless nevertheless so far and i'm very proud to say uh, it's been a good start to pedagogy coaching i put the big the patterns big patterns for a reason mm -hmm. unless you break patterns no change will happen and that's why i i give the slogan no, and I think that's a great, great slogan. And it reminds me of a message that I'd like to share, that it's easy to be, but it's better to become. So we can remain um, unmotivated. We can remain unfit by doing nothing. But if we want to become better, we need to take action, right? We need to do. We need to do what most people don't do. And I think to your point and to your style, we need to break patterns. And maybe it's break patterns of inactivity or break patterns of, a lack of curiosity, but if you can break those patterns, that's what is going to allow you to move forward. So coach, tell me a little bit about, and we have time for probably one or two more questions, and I want to make sure that we provide information on how individuals can reach out to you and learn more about your coaching services and your company. Have you been able to, your son is how old now? He's turning 10 this Saturday. Oh my gosh, 10 years old. Have you maybe inadvertently or directly used your coaching skills to help your son? On the pitch, on the football pitch. Um, <laughs> either, either, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a great question, but it's a great question. And uh, coaching works best when there's no agenda. Um, and, 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 and that's to be very fair. I try not to coach my kid. Mm -hmm. uh, because it turns out to become something different and it becomes not a very authentic thing. What I do though, from time to time, mm -hmm. although because you know sometimes he wants to know what I'm doing and sometimes he doesn't if he's not busy with, you know, with playing and studying, yeah. I like to involve him. So I ask him. So we had a, I had a podcast um, sessions last year and before I went on podcast and asked a couple of questions, I said, so I involved him saying, what would you ask? Mm-hmm. This podcast was about lockdown, studying from home. And I involved them saying, okay, what would you, how would you see this differently? And how would you kind of, uh, you know, talk to others about your experience? So what I try to do is, again, not always, is to get them curious, curiosity. And if we can, and I, I'm, not, I'm guilty as charged, as yeah. parents, regardless yeah. if we're coaches or not, yeah. do not extinguish, do not put down the curiosity of children. That is the most beautiful thing can, that has not to be touched. Do not touch the curiosity of children because children who grow up to become adults who remain curious yeah. are gonna be wonderful. Yeah, oh my gosh, boy, what, what a perfect way to end. And I just wanna summarize that just a little bit that you choose not to coach your son because it would not necessarily be authentic because you have kind of an agenda as a father, you want him to be a certain way. Um, and I, I just adore that you involve him because he gets to learn what his dad is pursuing. He gets to learn what his dad loves to do. He gets to see that it's nice to be kind to people and it helps. And you are giving him the opportunity. And if we go back to when you started playing soccer, you were not necessarily given the same opportunity that everyone else was. And I think that that is absolutely brilliant, Sohail, that it shows that you are a kind gentleman, a wonderful father. 
I know you're an incredible husband because I see great postings of you and your wife doing things together in family time um, and just a really, really terrific helper, right? Uh, I, I'm so proud to know you. Uh, it, going back to our time together in Doha, you were able to do some things with the class to show the appreciation for me. And I found the video uh, and I think I shared it with you recently, but yes. that was one of the most memorable times of my entire life, seeing the love and appreciation and you helped to inspire so much of that. So absolutely thrilled to know you, thrilled to call you a friend and coach when individuals would like to get to know more about your company, um, what is the best way to direct them? And I'll, of course, I'll include this in the show notes as well. Thank you, Bart. Thank you. Those words mean a lot. Uh, and right at, back at you because you are the inspirational leader that you are. And that's why you inspire others to kind of try to do a little bit of what you do, but not everyone is capable. I think today every, everyone's more comfortable of going to LinkedIn. And mm -hmm. uh, if you go to LinkedIn, you just have to type Coach Pedari, one word, Coach Pedari. That's P, a coach, as coach and no yeah. space. Pedari, P-E-D-A-R-I. And I pop up. Um, I'm, I'm glad if you're sharing the website uh, and it's www.pedaricoaching.com. Okay. Um, and as I say, 20% of my time, and I, I say it very loud here, 20% of my efforts in coaching goes to pro bono coaching whenever that is possible. And I always find possibility for that. Right now I'm doing that also. Um, so I always look to give back to global community and not only local. And therefore that is something that is always going to remain as a backbone of, uh, of pedagogy coaching's vision. Oh, amazing. Cause I know you do other volunteer work that we didn't even have a chance to cover, but um, you're so involved, right? Volunteer staff, 11 aside football for the special Olympics, volunteer staff expo 2020 for Dubai. Um, you just continue to, uh, again, do an awful lot. And again, we're very grateful. So your coaching customers do not necessarily need to be located in um, Dubai or overseas, they can be US, it doesn't matter, global customers, especially with technology? Yes, 60% of my clients right now sit in Europe, as a matter of fact, uh, outside of Middle East and Africa. So yes, absolutely. Excellent. Well, Coach, again, can't uh, thank you, cannot thank you enough. And for all of our listeners, there's going to be some exciting things that Coach and I are working on that we will be able to share our vision and our passion with more folks moving forward. So again, coach, cannot thank you enough. You're an incredible gentleman. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep on doing what most people don't.